your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We're going to get right into the message this morning, Mark 2. We're going to cover verses 18 through 22 this morning. Uh, take a moment to, to get there, and then I'll, uh, kind of getting into that, I just kind of want to remind us where we were last week. We touched on the first part of chapter 2, and what I kind of described was one of my more favorite stories in scripture of the paralytic that was healed by Jesus as uh, somebody's house got destroyed in the process, but it's okay because those four friends did whatever they possibly needed to do and could do to get their friend to the feet of Jesus. And so uh, we covered that and then also looked at the calling of another disciple in Levi, or as he's more commonly known as Matthew, and uh, Jesus proclaiming again his purpose in coming was not to call the righteous but sinners. And we're going to get into that a little bit more this morning. But ultimately for us, you and I, what we walked away with was that compassionate ministry of Jesus that we've been going through and covering should lead us to live out that passionate faith that we have to do what's necessary to draw others to Jesus Christ, to be Jesus to others, and to do what we need to do to get them to the feet of Jesus. So we're going to get into the scripture this morning again, and as we do, uh, just as a reminder, we're going to read our passage this morning, and then just take some time and sit with it in quiet before the Lord for a little bit of time, and that's your opportunity if you want to reread the passage, to take some notes, uh, to just jot some notes down of whatever the Lord is uh, telling you and speaking to you in this time, and then we'll jump into the teaching this morning. So read along with me, it'll be up on your screen, and before you, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 18. It says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So take a minute or two, let's sit with the Lord and see what he has to tell us this morning. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your provision. We thank you, Father, that we could gather here together this morning to worship you, to read your word. Teach us now, Father God, by your spirit, and let us walk away with only what it is that you want us to know, what you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Now, I know what you're thinking. Maybe you took a note and you thought, wow, Cam, only five verses this morning. Can you believe it? So I, I wanted to give you guys something to be thankful for in this season. We're only covering five verses today, not 20, not 25. Is that good? Everybody all right with that? All right, it was hard for me, just so you know. I kind of had to reel myself in a little bit, but that's okay. Five verses is good. There's a lot here. So as we saw, there are three parables, actually. Jesus starts to speak in parables in the book of Mark. There's three in just these five verses, and we'll point those out in time. But as you remember, Jesus called Matthew, his disciple, 
And after his calling, they went in and Jesus sat down with the other Matthew and the other tax collectors and sinners, was dining with them, and the Pharisees were there. And, and here we are in that scene, and the, and the conversation continues. And as we read in verse 18, a, an issue comes up. Once again, right? The Pharisees have an issue with Jesus. Surprise, surprise. And what they bring up this time is this concept of fasting. Now again, another great subject after Thanksgiving, right? Let's talk a little bit about fasting this morning. Maybe we need to. But John's disciples, now again, speaking of John the Baptist's disciples, and the Pharisees were fasting. And so they asked Jesus, why do John the Baptist's disciples fast and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not? So remember, Jesus just got done proving his authority, right? He proved his authority by showing the Pharisees that he is God the Son by forgiving the sins of the paralytic and his friends. He proved that authority by healing him, by getting him, having him get up and, and go and take his mat and go home, and all were amazed. And so here they are once again, in another way, questioning Jesus in another what we consider a ritualistic or religious practice in this concept of fasting. So the Pharisees would fast, right? And, and we're going to define fasting and get into that a little bit, but remember the Pharisees. They are all about old tradition. The Mosaic law, the prophets, that's their lifestyle. They're going to stick with that word by word by word. And so they had a question. Not that fasting was wrong or right, but it came down to how they are fasting. And here you look at, they, they mentioned John the Baptist's disciples. Okay, so John the Baptist, again, remember, is in prison. He's already been arrested. He is in prison. But here his disciples are continuing on practicing the things that John had taught them. But there's a difference in the way that the Pharisees were going about this concept of fasting and the way that John the Baptist's disciples were going about fasting. Remember what John the Baptist was teaching. He was teaching the coming Messiah. He was teaching repentance, forgiveness of sins, that something new was coming. So already in, in those two examples, John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees were in conflict, but yet here Jesus is setting himself even apart from them. So this comes down to how people are fasting, not so much why they're fasting. So what is fasting? Maybe you've heard of it before. It's a churchy thing to do, right? Maybe you've done it. You've practiced fasting before. But let's take a look at what this is, and then we'll get into really the heart of what's being discussed. So what is fasting and why do it? Something that maybe a lot of us don't like to do. And again, the conversation post-Thanksgiving is maybe we need to, but we need to look at the why. So fasting is simply setting something aside that you feel you need or that is taking precedence over your life and your relationship with Jesus and doing without. Now, more often than not, I would say 90 to 95% of the time, and that's just a number, it's not based on any study or anything, that more than likely people are going to fast with food. They're going to set food aside so as they empty themselves of food and, and other things, they're focused completely on the relationship with the Lord. But let me clarify something about fasting. Number one, it is not a commandment. It is not an obligation. 
It has nothing to do with salvation. I want us to understand that, okay? It is not salvific. Okay? If you don't fast, it doesn't mean you are not saved, okay? It has nothing to do with that. It's not even a commandment. So, again, why do it? It's in order to bring focus and what I like to call dependent attention. Focus and dependent attention on the Lord. And so we do so by ridding ourselves of earthly desires or needs that we feel maybe has been, have been taking precedent in our life more than our relationship with God. So like I said, sometimes and more often than not, it's food. Nowadays, a lot of people will fast from social media. Okay, maybe you've seen that before, or maybe you self have, have said, this is getting a little too much for me. I need to walk away from the, the Twitter book and all that good stuff. I just combine them. <laughs> maybe it's TV. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's an activity. Maybe it, whatever it might be for you. Anything, Xbox, that takes precedence in your life over your relationship with the Lord. You set it aside. For how long? There's no command. There's no, there's no time frame. There's no condition. It is a significant amount of time that you determine for your life what's needed to set this aside and bring that dependent focus back on the Lord. But here's what's very important to note about fasting. It's what we do during that time frame is of utmost importance. Okay, if you're going to fast from food, you don't fast to lose weight. Okay, you don't fast to get healthy. You can, but not from the scriptural or biblical perspective of fasting. Now, there's this thing called intermittent fasting nowadays, right, that people will do. And that's fine. It's to get healthy. It's to get your body right and working properly again when it comes to your food or digestive system or whatever else. And to lose weight, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to scriptural, biblical fasting, we set food aside because maybe it's something that we need to get rid of so we can focus on the Lord. How dependent are we on food? Not that food is a problem. We need it. Now, some, it might be everything. I go to food for whenever I'm feeling down, or I go to food just to eat, or I go to food for just whatever it might be. And so we set that aside to say, I don't need this right now. I need to fill up with Jesus Christ. But again, what we do during that period of time we're fasting from food or social media, or TV, or you name it, is that focused attention on Jesus Christ. If you focus your attention on losing weight during this fast, that's called a diet. That's not a fast. Okay, a fast says, I'm going to give myself completely to the Lord. So in Scripture, fasting is done for those that are sick. It's done for the appointment of elders in the church. It's done during a period of mourning or grief. It's done for dependency on the Lord, for strength and wisdom, because something is coming up that you need his wisdom for, not your own? So is there any condition or reason alone, singular, that you need to fast? No, there's multiple reasons why you can fast and set that time aside. But ultimately, again, fasting is done to know, understand, and follow God's will for your life. So a lot of people will ask, I don't know what God's will for my life is. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And a common response or a biblical response could be, have you taken the time to pray about it? Have you taken the time to fast? 
and set everything else aside so your dedicated focus attention is on hearing from the Lord. Fasting is a good thing to do. It could last a day. It could last 20 days, 30 days. How much time did Jesus spend in the wilderness after he had, uh, had been baptized and, and he went out into the wilderness? Remember how many days he was out there? And that's, he spent that entire time fasting. He didn't eat during the entire period of time. So how many times have we gone a day, two days, three days, a week without consuming any food? That might sound ridiculous, like there's no way I can do that. But let me tell you, you absolutely can. You can do it. But it's the, the mental and the heart preparation, again, of why we're taking that period of time to fast. John MacArthur said, There can be no right fasting as a part or apart from a right heart, right living, and a right attitude. So if you're going to fast, your heart needs to be there, your mind needs to be there, your lifestyle needs to determine your fasting. Let's look at what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I read that again? Maybe somebody needs to hear that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Here's what I want us to focus on this next verse. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. You hearing that? Jesus Christ condemned sin in the flesh. So why are we relating this to fasting? So when we set things aside that are taking precedent over our excuse me, our relationship with Jesus, it's because those things are sinful to us. Anything that takes precedence is more important, is consuming your time and focus and attention more than Jesus Christ is a sin. It's something we need to consider. And to finish out Romans 8, it says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We don't walk according to the flesh. We walk according to the Spirit and live and do all that the Spirit needs us to do. So sometimes we bring condemnation upon ourselves in how we're living. I think we all have been there. We've all done that. In order to walk in the freedom that Jesus has given us, we need to deny and set aside those things that are taking precedence and our time and attention away from Jesus and commit ourselves back to the Lord. We've talked about many times, just in the last uh, 12 weeks of, of being a church here, we've mentioned Galatians 5.25. If we say that we live by the Spirit, then we also need to keep in step with the Spirit. So if we are out of step, what do we do to get ourselves back in alignment with Jesus Christ and his way and his will for our life? Maybe we need to spend some time fasting, getting rid of the things that are taking our time and attention away from Jesus in that pure, spirit-driven walk he needs us to have. 
So Jesus even discusses proper fasting. So it is something we can do. Again, it's not necessarily a command that you have to do it. But he discusses if you're going to do it, do it this way. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Who is he talking about? The Pharisees, right? So he's talking right at the Pharisees. That's why I love Jesus. He's so bold. Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So this is why I have a bit of an issue when people get on social media or declare in person, I'm on a fast, no thank you, I don't need this right now. Because what are they doing? They're letting you know what spiritual lane they're in. I'm going to go on a social media fast, everybody, as I type this on social media, to let you know that I'm going to be spiritual for the next however long I'm on a fast. Don't talk to me or bother me or whatever else. We don't need to do that. Jesus is saying we don't need to declare our fast. We just need to do it because it's not for other people. That's between us and the Lord. Only he knows. So let's move on in Mark chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. This is going to be the first parable that Jesus discusses in this process of answering their question about why John and the Pharisees' disciples themselves are fasting, but Jesus' disciples are not. And in verse 19, Jesus says, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So here we get a picture of what? A wedding. Are weddings gloomy, sorrowful, mournful affairs? I hope not. They shouldn't be. It's a time of celebration, isn't it? It's a time of joy, of happiness, of dancing, of, of feasting, right? I love to go to weddings sometimes just for the food. Sometimes I don't care about them. That's your life. Go get married, whatever. Feed me. Because the food is good. People pay out for good food, right? I, my wife and I had the best food, and guess what? We never got it. We spent time. We went and picked it out. It was beautiful. It was, it was what was it? The macadamia crusted chicken. Oh, my goodness. It was so good. And then what happened on the wedding day? We get so busy talking with people and whatever else. We never got any. I am upset about that. Sixteen years later, I didn't get my macadamia nut crusted chicken. And we paid for it. It's okay, I'm not bitter. But what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about a parable, right? He's talking about a wedding day. And he says he himself is the bridegroom. Jesus is the groom. And, and who are the guests? His disciples. Us. And that wedding feast is a joyous occasion. But so fasting, Jesus is saying, kind of has a mournful, gloomy feeling to it. Not that we should look and present ourselves as gloomy or sad, but he says here, when I'm with you, the bride and the groom and the wedding guests, we commune together, we celebrate together. It's a joyous occasion. There's a feast here. Remember where Jesus is at with his disciples, eating, celebrating with 
Matthew and the tax collectors and sinners and they're, they're feasting. In that day, when people are welcomed into your home, that was a party. It wasn't just a get-together to hang out. It was a celebration. It was a party. So Jesus is declaring that he and his ministry is very different from what John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees were doing by fasting. Why be sad when we're in the presence of Jesus Christ? Can I say that again? Why be sad when we're in the presence of Jesus Christ? There is no gloominess or feel about it. He's saying we take all that stuff and set it aside. Even in uh, uh, Jewish law and custom, that when they would go to weddings, they would set certain law aside so that they could feast and be joyful. They would set religious activity aside and say, go enjoy, have fun. And their weddings would last like a week. Not just a few hours, but a whole week. So Jesus is saying, I'm here. I'm in their presence. We're going to celebrate. That's a cool thing. So Jesus is saying that he's different. It has more to do with a relational, joyful experience than religious, legal law-keeping. But this is not an awkward or random parable. Why align fasting and this question with a, a wedding feast and, and the bridegroom? This is common. This is something the Pharisees would have known. Because that relationship between God the Father and his people were likened to a bride and a groom throughout, for us, Old Testament. Or throughout Mosaic Law, throughout the prophets. That relationship, that wedding experience was defined for them time and time and time again. In fact, John the Baptist even preached this marriage covenant, this relationship, during his ministry. In John chapter 3, verse 29, he refers to the bridegroom coming for his people. Paul speaks of it in Romans chapter 4, and if we read that from the New King James Version, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 7, verse 4, in the New King James it says this, Therefore, my brethren, you have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. So the law is done. You are now joining together in holy matrimony a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So in finishing out this parable, so this, this wedding parable, Jesus as a bridegroom, we are his bride. He even mentions there's going to be a time when the bridegroom goes away. So this is one of the first times in his ministry that Jesus mentions his death and his departure. And some would relate that to maybe even his ascending to back to the heavenly throne, awaiting his second coming when he would come back and, and take us together, take his bride home. So let's move on and take a look at the other two parables, verses 21 and 22. So in verses 19 and 20, that, re that wedding relationship, that wedding parable was kind of more over Jesus' relationship with his people, right? We kind of caught that. Now, in this, these next two parables regarding the old garment and the new garment and the old wine and the wineskins, this is more about Jesus' purpose of his ministry and what's coming versus the old covenant law that his father had given to Abraham and Moses. So verses 21 and 22, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth to an old garment, if he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and the worse tear, and a worse tear is made. 
And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So this old garment that Jesus is talking about, he's referring to the old law, the Mosaic law that these Pharisees were following. He's saying it's an old covenant, religious practices in Judaism according to Mosaic law. Jesus is now establishing a new kingdom, a new way of life. But we need to make something very clear. What Jesus is saying, he's, he's not saying the old law is done and worthless. That's not what he's saying. Even he himself in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to do what? Fulfill it. The law has its purpose. In fact, if we remember from Mark chapter 1, verse 44, what does he tell the leper to do after he's healed? To go and show yourself to the priest as is custom for you. So he told the leper, abide by your law and do what you are supposed to do. So the old law rules have its place, but it's served its purpose. Let me make an example for you. Anybody still listen to or have an old record player? No? You've all moved on. Okay, we do have one. Okay, we have one. Now, how about a tape? Anybody have a tape player, tape cassettes? Maybe an old one or two, okay? How many have CDs? Ah, more hands are going up. How about downloading digital music nowadays we're all aware of that right now does that mean the record players and the tapes are completely done and can't be used and are worthless yes. <laughs> some would believe that right no i'm glad you said it because some would believe that but can you still use them absolutely you can maybe it's not a preference but you can still use record players. In fact, I know some that say they only listen to records because they, they feel and believe the sound and quality from those records is a lot better than what we have today. That's an opinion, right? But it's not as if they're worthless and can't be used. They can still serve a purpose, but for the era, we've moved on. Make sense? Okay? And so nowadays it's CDs or even CDs are becoming like tapes and record players and it's all in the cloud, right? That somehow, some way that, that music can just come on down into your device. I don't know how it works. Don't ask. But that's what we're talking about. The same thing could be applied to how many still have VHS tapes in their house, right? A lot of you, goodness, still living in the 80s, people. How about DVDs? Or at one time it was HD DVDs or Blu-ray or whatever else. But now what? You stream it, right? Again, you take those movies and you just pull it from the cloud somehow. But it's not as if you can't use those old things. So you see what we're getting at? What Jesus is even referring to, the old law is still there. Abide by it. I didn't come to abolish it, but it served its purpose. I'm instituting a new way, a new kingdom. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, the writer of Hebrews clarifies this for us. It's up on your screen. In speaking of a new covenant, he, Jesus, makes the first one obsolete. 
and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now again, making it obsolete doesn't mean it's not there anymore. It's just not something you have to live your life by anymore. At one time, you could only get records and tapes. That's not the case anymore. You don't attach the new to the old. So if we move on to this garment idea, you don't attach the new stuff to the old stuff. It doesn't work. In regard to clothing, you don't take ripped and torn and shredded clothes and try and keep them patched together with new garments. Because the moment when he, when he defines those garments as unshrunk cloth, that the moment you wash it, that, is going, that new cloth is going to shrink. And the old is not going to shrink as much. And what's going to happen? That patch is going to tear away. It's not going to be good. It doesn't make sense to add new to the old. You see what we're getting at here? So the representation, when we're talking about garments and the old versus the new, we look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, when Adam and Eve fell and they sinned. I love the beauty of what this says. That God himself made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Did you ever catch that before? God made their garments. Say, look, you sinned, you messed up. But I still love my bride. I'm still going to take care of my bride. So you get that vision of Jesus making their garments and helping them to cover their nakedness, which was a representation of their sin, right? But what we live by now is what we read in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. Regarding salvation, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. That's the beauty of the salvation picture. A bride on her wedding day. How much time and attention went into the dress and the makeup and the hair and the jewelry. Same thing for a guy who gets dressed up in a tuxedo or whatever. I mean, something he'll never, ever wear again. Maybe the bride or the groom will never wear those clothes again. They were specially made and designed for that day. And Jesus is saying, that's what I am to you. My relationship for you to clothe you in wedding apparel daily that's what my righteousness is this is the difference between the law and the gift of grace colossians 1 13 through 14 says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins new life in christ needs to be stored in a new body doesn't it void of the dried out cracked old way one that is clothed in righteousness and filled with the love of jesus and the power of the holy spirit again there's no blending of the old and the new you either accept and be filled by the things of god or you reject and live in your old ways there's no in between is there you're either going to fully buy into who Jesus is and allow yourself to be clothed in his righteousness, filled with his Holy Spirit, and walk and keep in step with that spirit, or you're going to say, no, I don't want that. Reject it altogether and live how you feel you need to live. 
and do what's best for you. But then maybe you get a little guilty about that. So you think, well, I like that from Jesus and I'll attach it here. Or I'll take that from scripture and apply it to my life so I can feel a little more comfortable. But what did we just read? Does that work? Taking some of the new, some of Jesus and, and attaching it to your old way of life? No, it doesn't. It's not going to hold together. This Jesus is brand new. His way is brand new. His kingdom is so clean and fresh and new. It does not fit with anything from our past life. But too many people want to add a bit of Jesus to their current lifestyle and hope it holds together. But here's what it comes down to. You're either all in or you're not. You're either all in or you're not. Scripture is very clear on this. Hot or cold. And let's take a look at that scripture right now. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 20. Jesus speaking to the church says, I know your works. You are neither hot, or excuse me, neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, I love that because we've heard that passage before. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but that knock on the door and I'll come into you. That's that feeling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus taking residence in your life. But what does he say? I'll come in and do what? I'll eat with you. I'll dine with you. Taking us right back to where he was with the sinners and the tax collectors, eating and feasting and rejoicing and celebrating together. Because that's what life is like in Jesus. But we need to open the door, don't we? And either let him in, or we're not going to open the door. You can't just let a piece of him in. You can't just let him stick his head in the door and, and that's it. Or just tell me what you want to tell me and close the door and walk away and hope that sticks. It's not going to happen. So what did we see this morning? Jesus, number one, came to save sinners. And in order to do so, if we have a new life in Christ, if we're all in with Jesus, then maybe we take that same example and do the same. We need to dine with the tax collectors and sinners. Those that don't have Jesus in their life, we need to be with them, around them, communing with them because what other way are they going to hear the gospel again we said it before we can hope and we can cross our fingers that they'll just walk in through these doors and and god will do that but we need to be with them we need to show them the love of jesus romans 10 17 says so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of christ don't forget that doesn't just happen on sundays right here that happens through your life, where you're at, as you take Jesus with you. Giving him away to anybody that you're around. And then the old versus the new, right? Life in Jesus is meant to be completely new. 
We need to clean out the closet of the old rags, the old garments, the old habits, the things that don't fit in with God's wardrobe of righteousness. And so maybe that's what needs to happen. Maybe we need to have a time of fasting in order to do that. Please remember, it's not a commandment. It's not an obligation. You have to make that decision. But if you need to get back in step with the Spirit, then I'm asking you, take that time and do so. Your, you determine what that looks like. You determine what you need to set aside. You determine what is taking precedence in your life so you can get back in step with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.